The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. The information and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official position of the Life Saving Society of Ontario. Welcome to the Lifeguard for Life podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Backlar, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jason Jolicoeur. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Stephanie, it's great to be here. Are you excited about our third episode? Yes, blended learning. Blended so learning. let's get a little caught up because it's been a month. Um, yeah. Why don't I start? Um, and it's a nice link, actually, because... Uh, uh, from blended learning, I actually taught last week, or actually this week, online swim instructor credit session um, for the Life Saving Society, um, and it was, and I believe you had a hand in making that, didn't you? Yeah, like you know, I, I might have, I might have dabbled in that a little bit. Um, it was I actually. Really I just want to yeah, know how it went. Like I put a lot of work. I mean, my team put a lot of right? work into developing that, and how is it? I actually, one of my favorite parts is actually the, uh, the section when we're talking about holds and we got to use the, the video as well. Um, right. so it was great. Uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, there's a lot of resources for trainers. Um, it's pretty much just, you know, a, a, a course in a box. So yes, I really do encourage great. affiliates. You probably have instructors that need that extra credit, um, to, to recertify their qualifications. Um, so potentially look at offering that for them. Um, if you need an instructor, reach out to Listening Society, ask for help, and they can try to get that offered for your area. Um, what it's, have you, you been have to up to? You a trainer Stephanie? to deliver that, right? Like a swim trainer? Yeah. Yeah. So, so what have you been up to? I've been up to? Yeah. Um, you know, it's been busy with work and the kids, and we had just had a couple of really intense snow days. I don't know how much snow you got where you are, but we got like the full 60 centimeters, maybe more to the point that I let the dog out. And, and I have a big dog. Like I have a, a lab for doodle and a fair sized dog. He was <laughs> right completely, in the in, completely buried. Happy as a clam. He was so happy. Um, but yeah, so, you know, the kids were off school and things have been kind of, kind of busy. <laughs> a little yeah, for sure. Oh, good. Um, I just, I was reminiscing actually about our last episode. I got a lot of feedback about uh, the first aid miss and I actually learned quite a bit uh, personally um, from yeah. Eric helping us out. Um, but I had someone reach out to me um, that I taught first aid instructors to, and she had asked, um, like she was all geared up to teach um, for the first time. She was going to teach her school candidates because she worked for a school board. Um and she said, you know, we're shut down at the moment. So uh, she was going to do switch over to blended learning for first aid. So I reminded her uh, that at this point in time, uh, you can't do first aid courses in a blended learning format. You can only do it in person. So anyone um, listening, if you're thinking of doing first aid in a blended learning format at this point in time, you do have to do it only in person. And share that info with your friends. Let, let people know for the Life Saving Society our first aid is only being delivered in person. So there's and, no online option at this point. Some of our listeners might teach for other organizations. You know, you can check with them certainly, but if for Life Saving Society, as of right yes. now, it is um, in person only. 
But there are lots of other things that we are teaching um, blended, and we are going to get into all of that now with our guest, Adam Eastman. And I'm really excited to have Adam on tonight because he he's actually a school teacher, um, but also teaches for Licensed Society. And because he's a teacher, of course, he's been doing a lot of online uh, he's, online he's teaching, veteran right? at this point. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's a veteran. So he does have a lot of experience to share um, with us today. Uh, and I'm really excited to kind of pick his brain to see what works, what doesn't work, what we should, you know, really, really look at doing, what we should, we should stay away from. Um, so yeah. I'm pretty excited to have him on tonight. Um, and so without further ado, let's, let's get Adam on. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're really Welcome. excited to have you on to talk about blended yeah. learning. Yeah, great. I'm excited to be here. So Adam, can you give us like a bit about your background? We know you're from Ottawa. Uh, what else is there that you can share? Yeah, sure. So I actually live, I live in Kemptville, which is about 30 minutes south of Ottawa. Uh, so rural. I uh, grew up in the, the GTA. Um, uh, yeah, in Ottawa, I'm a school teacher. Um, I, uh, I'm a social emotional learning teacher. So I, I rotate around the schools across the city, uh, supporting kids who are uh, really struggling. Um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a national trainer. Um, I teach a lot of courses, uh, a little bit less the last couple of years with the pandemic, but I teach quite a bit. And uh, yeah, like Jason said, I'm on the leadership council. So we do um, all of the work for everything, instructors, examiners, and trainers. So this is a perfect topic for you. No wonder we picked you for this topic. <laughs> it is so great to have you on our podcast. And I think without further ado, Jason, let's delve into some questions. Yes, yeah, so we're actually going to get started with just some terminology, because we know some people uh, don't know all the terminology with respect to blended learning. So can you just give us a breakdown of the differences between blended learning, online learning, and those words we've heard all heard a lot, especially if you have children recently, asynchronous versus synchronous learning? Yeah, sure. Um, so what, what we did traditionally was really in-person learning, right? Everyone gets together and, and we do stuff together in person. Um, let's go to the opposite end. So online learning uh, would be uh, where everything takes place exclusively online. There's no in-person component. Um, and then blended learning is, you know, certainly a spectrum, but anywhere in between where some portion of your time will be spent together in person and some portion of your time would be spent um, online uh, to either together or not together. So uh, with that in mind, as Jason said, two other uh, good words to know are synchronous learning and asynchronous learning. Synchronous learning, again, think sort of what everyone did traditionally. We're all doing this stuff at the same time together, typically led by an instructor. Um, asynchronous, uh, and you know what, asynchronous, people were historically doing this as well. Asynchronous is, is giving your candidates homework, um, you know, something to read, something to prepare, a video to watch. Um, asynchronous simply means any uh, learning that's taking place where people are doing it sort of at their own speed on their own time, uh, rather than all together at the same time. That is a Love great that. definition. Uh, my my yeah. youngest right now, he's doing, uh, he was doing online learning last week, right? Um, like most of the people in Ontario. And when it came to asynchronous learning, he would always try to convince us, okay, my learning is done. I can do screen time now, right? I was like, no, buddy, yeah. this is your time for like your homework and your learning on your own. <laughs> that is very yeah. clever. <laughs> yeah, right? Asynchronous is nice. Mm -hmm. 
asynchronous is nice because it offers flexibility, right? People can, can engage in the learning or the work at a time that suits them in a location that suits them. Um, the, the challenge is that people need to be sort of self-starters and have enough sort of self-control and self-regulation to say, I'm going to sit down and, and put some brain effort into what it is I need to do. So it might not work for everyone. Uh, no, yeah, that's a fair assessment. That's I mean, right. it could work for everyone, but it depends on how dedicated you are. You need yeah. to be self-motivated. Yeah. Self-motivated, yeah. So, so does that cover off, that covers off all of the definitions then? Yeah, so next we're moving into platforms. So Adam, how familiar are you with the different platforms available or have you used uh, several different ones depending on what you were doing? Do you have a favorite? Yes. Uh, you know, so, okay, so the big three, let's start with that big three would be Zoom, uh, which a lot of people know, particularly just because it's, it's out there, it's everywhere, you know, people use it socially, a lot of uh, enterprise or organizations also choose to use Zoom for a variety of reasons. Uh, Microsoft Teams would probably be number two in terms of what's most commonly used. Um, uh, organizations that would have uh, licenses and subscriptions with Microsoft would have that as part of their suite of products. So a lot of organizations use um, Teams. Uh, third, this is common in education, a little bit less common in, you know, municipal situations or, or private organizations would be Google Meet. Um, again, it's just included for uh, uh, organizations who would have corporate Google accounts. But on that note, um, all three of those tools have various free options and each um, product has different limitations. Um, all of them, you can have, you know, upwards of a hundred people. So for our purposes, doing our courses, you know, you've comfortably got enough space in terms of number of participants. Uh, Zoom, I, candidly, I'm not as familiar as Zoom, perhaps as you two are. I've, I've used Zoom maybe all of six or seven times. Um, so, uh, but my understanding is Zoom, there's a, a limitation, I think 40 minutes or an hour or so, and then they That's cut correct. you off it's with a, a free account. Time. Yeah. Um, but perhaps depending on your scheduling, uh, you know, that might work okay if you were going to schedule out your time into smaller chunks. Um, but so, yeah, all, all three products have um, free options as well. And then in terms of additional features, there's a lot of overlap. Um, in terms of different features that would be included, but you know, um, you'd want as uh, let me back up. Um, in terms of the features, uh, you know, polls, breakout rooms, virtual whiteboards, you have things like that. Uh, I think what an organization would need to do is number one, consider is there a product that you would already have in place for your organization, um, and and. That may be your product you're going to use, whether you like it or not. So then really it's a matter of learning the tools available with that product. Um, for some organizations, they may be in a nice place where they're able to choose which product they want to use. Um, like I said, all three are free. Um, additionally, uh, for your participants, um, participants don't need a fancy account to engage with any of these products. All of them for a candidate really, the workflow is just providing a link um, and then candidates can, can join the, uh, the session. Uh, and then, you know, some organizations, especially some smaller organizations have chosen to just allow their instructors the flexibility um, to choose which products. So if Jason and I are working for the same facility, perhaps for Jason's NL course, he chooses to use Zoom while I might choose to use Google Meet. 
So that is very helpful. Um, it gives us a good overview of the different options. And it sounds like you can't really um, go wrong with either one. So, I mean, I personally have used all of the different options at different times. My workplace uses Zoom primarily. Sometimes we hop on a Teams meeting because it's easier. Um, Google Meets more, I've used more informally, but I agree with you, they're all sure. very similar. Um, and you're going to get, you know, mostly what you need. One thing that you mentioned that I don't have any experience with, I'm just interested in clarifying about, um, virtual whiteboards. What does mm -hmm. that look like? And how does yeah, that so... Uh couple different ways. Uh, sometimes they're set up so it's really instructor-led where you're able to essentially share a third screen where it's just a white screen and then using, you know, a tablet if you have one or even just the cursor or the mouse on your computer um, and you can, you know, pen stuff on it as though you were using a just whiteboard Just like we would marker. if we were in a classroom. Yeah. Some products uh, are a little bit more feature rich. For instance, Google has a product called Jamboard, which can also be used free. Jamboard, uh, your, your participants can add uh, things to the, the board themselves. Uh, typically, the easiest way to do it is, is with sticky notes, kind of like you might have done traditionally in a classroom where everyone writes yeah. their couple ideas on a sticky note, puts it on the wall. Same idea. Your participants can type it in and then stick it up. Uh, images can go on as well. Uh, so different options like that. There's lots of products that do these. Uh, I think Zoom um, has virtual whiteboard options embedded in, in the product as it is. Um, Google, uh, if you use Google Meet, Jamboard is a complimentary product they have as well. Microsoft Teams, I'm not as familiar with. I would need to look more into that. That's wonderful. That's very helpful. Um, it's funny. One of my staff just reached out to me. Um, one of my former staff just re reached out to me the other day. Um, and he was really excited because he just discovered the whiteboard feature in Zoom. And he wanted to make sure we mentioned it today because he <laughs> loves it. So, yeah. and, and I remember using it just as a simple tool um, for blended learning. We were just putting up differences between Lifesaver versus Lifeguard. Um, and I remember just having like drawing the line and then they were just putting in the differences kind of down, just like you would in a classroom setting. And it was perfect. And it's just something you take for granted, like your chart paper and your whiteboard. You're so used to just using those. You just jump in and you have your stuff and you go. So it's really great that that is a virtual option. And I actually, now that you mentioned it, have used Jamboard before, mm -hmm. but didn't really put two and two together that it was a virtual <laughs> whiteboard, like with that specific terminology. Yeah, because um, for some of our candidates, otherwise, you know, online learning can be a little talk heavy, right? And yes. so just having that even very simple visual um, support can be helpful for some of our learners. And we're not just lecturing, right? Which is great. Taking a yeah. little break from that. Yes. So, so Adam, moving on to the next question here, um, how was your experience as an instructor with the transition to blended learning, you know, when you first started doing that, uh, probably at the beginning of the pandemic? Yeah, so uh, I benefited from, um, uh, in another life, I had a little bit of experience doing online learning um, prior to the pandemic. Um, but then I, I, as a teacher, gained a lot of experience wearing my, my teacher hat before that was a, a role I needed to, or a skill set I needed to use as a life society instructor. So that was helpful. Um, but, you know, I, I think for a lot of our instructors and trainers, most people have some degree of experience engaging with these online tools, right? Perhaps not as a facilitator, but perhaps as a participant in a training session, a participant in a staff meeting, or, um, 
or another workplace meeting. Um, so I think one thing I would encourage listeners to consider is, um, you know, spend a little bit of time reflecting on your experiences with those online uh, experiences um, and, and consider what worked well and then consider what maybe didn't work well or you didn't care for and then how those um pros or cons might translate back to your own experience because probably in all likeliness if if you really liked the way that you know jason facilitated something at your staff training your your candidates in a you know bronze cross or nl course would likely appreciate that as well so considering um the sort of the transition how do you transition your lesson plans from like in person to a virtual setting? Yeah, great question. Um, I would I would say you start with sort of the, the 10,000 feet perspective and, and look at your, uh, people call it different names, course outline, core plan, agenda, you know, really your, your schedule for your course. Um, and first thing would be, are there, you know, parameters around what, you know, times of day or what days of the week you might be doing virtual versus what times of day uh, or days of the week you might be doing online. That's number one. Then number two, you might consider um, your big blocks of content and which ones suit themselves to being in person versus online. In some situations, this is easy for a, a bronze or a national lifeguard course. If, if it's a water-based skill, it will be an in-person skill. We're, we're not going to all get in our own home swimming pools and do the skills together over video chat. Uh, what, you mean don't put your iPhone in a Ziploc baggie and, and tread water? Yeah, not that's right. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, considering that. Uh, I think a lot of practices that instructors would have always done all along still apply those. So, for example, uh, a great practice that a lot of instructors have even in, in traditional courses, is um, you spend classroom time uh, doing, you know, knowledge-based things, introducing concepts, things like that. You know, an example might be something like scanning in a National Lifeguard course. You introduce different scanning patterns. Maybe you show a video of, like, disappearing dummies about positioning and glare and things like that. And then, uh, you know, later in the day when you have a pool session, you, um, you know, you, you apply those skills and knowledge that you have, you've learned in the pool. So I think that's um, uh, worth considering is sort of the, the TikTok of how your um, uh, in-person sessions align with your virtual sessions and how that content might work back and forth. Um, and then you kind of come down to sort of the 5,000 feet and you, I, you consider your lesson plans. Um, and more specifically, I think the activities you're using. Um, in some cases, uh, there are activities where you can do the exact same activity online that you might have done in person. Um, in a, you know, in a leadership uh, standpoint, uh, for a swim instructor's course, um, an activity you might have candidates do is do a short, you know, two or three minute presentation on the, the mission, vision and values of the Lifesaving Society, the role that volunteers play in the Lifesaving Society, something like that. Uh, your, your candidates could really deliver that presentation in person. They could deliver it online. Uh, really what they're doing is, is no different. They could even still have, you know, some sort of visual support that they could share using screen sharing online. Um, so in some cases it's easy. You just use the same activity. Um, you might uh, have an activity 
that just needs a little bit of modifying for an online setting. So for example, um, you know, what we were talking about earlier, right? You might typically lead a brainstorm. Um, brainstorms don't always work well online with people muting and unmuting and talking over one another. You lose a little bit of that, um, you know, nonverbal communication that you get in person with your, your colleagues. So uh, instead, you might use a tool like we were talking about, like Jamboard or another virtual whiteboard where people can just put their ideas on the stickies, they put it on the virtual whiteboard, and then once people have had a period of time to do that, you can look back and, uh, you know, as, as the instructor, as the trainer, you know, kind of suss out the big ideas and that sort of thing. Um, so really, very similar activity to what you've done traditionally, but you might modify it slightly. Um, and then as you look at your lesson plans, there might be some activities which very clearly are not suitable to do online. You know, I think of something like, um, you know, perhaps a group role play, um, you know, in a National Lifeguard course, if you had three or four candidates doing a role play for a challenging PR situation, it, it's not going to work well. Um, it's not going to feel the same when they're not yeah, yelling yeah. in your actual face. <laughs> <laughs> you could do a two, you could do a two person role play where, you know, Stephanie and I talk to one another back and forth, you know, role playing a situation. But if you had a larger group doing something like that, it's just not going to work. Um, so then, uh, then the work you need to do as the instructor or trainer is consider what are the either must sees or performance requirements that you were trying to focus on with that activity. Um, and then you, you need to, design or develop another activity that allows your candidates to um, either learn the same outcomes or to demonstrate the same performance requirements or must-sees. Um, some of our programs have started to include uh, some sample activities or resources that might be helpful to instructors. Um, so it might be worth uh, looking at some of those. I believe the, the bronze instructor CDs now have some... Right, so this Jason? is a good opportunity for me yeah. to like plug this. Do a plug. Yeah, so... You guys can you guys can purchase now the bronze USB resource, which um, it's the newest one of the newest um, offerings from the society, Lifesaving Society. So you can get it at Lifecard Depot um, right now, and it includes blended learning um, lesson plans on it as a separate oh, entity, which is super helpful. And then it does include the PowerPoint presentations that you would use uh, in a blended learning format, but. They're designed for the classroom. So I do recommend you do a little bit of modification before you teach those in the blended learning format. But which also is really helpful is the bronze, uh, the bronze uh, videos that you can also get because that just enhances what you're trying to teach. So you can show the video of, for example, of like the ladder approach and then have a conversation about it, have breakout room activities about it, use your workbooks to enhance that learning. Um, so there's lots you can do in a blended learning format, but it does take a little more work. And that might also include getting those resources to your candidates before the class starts. That might mean they pick it up at your facility or you're mailing it out. So I have a quick question for you, Adam. Um, yeah. In your experience, I'm, I'm thinking, so I'm planning my course and I'm trying to estimate time. How much time is it gonna take? Would you say that the times are take longer when you're online versus when you're in, traditionally in person? Or is it faster and it seems to move quicker? Or is it basically comparable and I don't have to factor that into my planning? What do you think? Yeah, great question. Uh, 
I, I would say uh, a little bit more, but in, in specific areas. So for example, I think a, a good best practice is if you're teaching a course, which is a 20 hour course, um, I, would, I would at minimum perhaps consider making it a 21 hour course. The extra hour, um, I would put part of that time at the very beginning of the course um, or at the at your first online session if your your first session is going to be in the pool then you know your next one but essentially at your very first online time everyone's together you need a little bit of time to familiarize people with whatever the the learning tool is whether it's zoom google meets teams right. show them how to mute, unmute themselves that sort of thing um sorry give me just a second yeah no problem yeah that makes sense for, for our listeners i need to say hydrated Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so, so I think uh, you, you want to have some time to familiarize people with the tool so they know how to use it. One strategy that some instructors use, uh, if perhaps, you know, some organizations are not um, uh, interested in increasing the number of hours, is you could either prepare um, like a how-to document or, you know, do a little screencast of walkthrough for how to get logged in, how to mute yourself, unmute yourself. And then that could be shared electronically with your participants, either, you know, upon registration uh, or, you know, several days or a week before the course. Um, uh, and, and then that way, the, the actual learning hours, you're, you're actually able to engage in the learning instead of, you know, a lot of troubleshooting. Um, beyond that little bit of extra, uh, no, you know what, Stephanie, I, I would say, uh, even in our traditional courses, right, there's, there's many activities you could choose to, to teach a given must-see or to help candidates develop their ability to perform a must-see, and some activities take longer and some activities take less time. Um, that is true in the blended world as well, right? You could pick activities that might be more streamlined or some that might take longer. Um, I would propose that um, blended in and of itself does not necessarily take more or less time than our, our traditional exclusively in-person courses. I don't All know right, if you guys feel helpful. this way too, when, when you're teaching a blended learning program and you're doing the online portion as an instructor, I feel like I need like four monitors and I need to have everything ready to go in advance. So like my videos queued up, my presentation queued up, yes. any documents I have ready yes. to go. So then I can just slide it into my my screen that's being yes. shared. Um, it's just a lot nobody of- nobody wants to wait for you to find a video on YouTube. Exactly. Or, or search through, no one wants to watch you search through your files and, and look for something. You have to be careful you know not what? to show Though any I... confidential information. So you yeah. only want to share the yeah. one screen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would agree, Jason. Sometimes a couple of screens can be helpful because you can have the screen with the little images of all your candidates on one screen. You can have another screen for that's going to be your screen sharing screen. And, you know, some people really go crazy. They've got the third screen with their sort of notes to themselves. Um, and that screen. way you're less likely to, to cross the streams. Uh, however, in terms of, you know, wanting our listeners to feel confident with blended learning. You know what I would say though? It, it's still the same as in person, right? In person, you know, you don't want your candidates sitting there for five minutes as you're flipping through the, the Canadian first aid manual, oh, trying yeah. to find a particular section or that a sort of thing. Note on it. Um, yeah. So, so the, the preparation is just cause it's new, right? Like for a lot of people, it's their first time teaching blended. So it's like, it's like your first time teaching, you know, your, your standard first aid course in, in person or your NL course in person. 
you have to do the work to prepare. But, you know, I would want our listeners to feel confident that while it takes a little bit of work, it's not necessarily inherently more challenging or more difficult than, than the in-person experience would have been. And you've both, you've both taught a fair amount. Um, have you just kind of slid into your old routines when you've started teaching and felt like it just kind of works? Or have you felt like the first time it was kind of like, this is awkward or strange, or did it just sort of feel normal? Depends a little bit on um, uh, sort of the norms that you have for your training. So for example, in my world as a teacher, um, when we've been online for periods of time, I've joined uh, a large number of classes. And sometimes I've joined some classes online where um, everyone has their camera on, um, you know, everyone is, you know, un either unmuted the whole time or is very liberal about muting, unmuting themselves and speaking up. And uh, in those situations, you have that little bit of like awkwardness with people talking over one another, which doesn't tend to happen quite as much in person. However, uh, it has a very similar feel. I've joined other courses where um, uh, the, the norm is quite different. You know, people have their cameras off, you know, as, as the teacher or as the instructor, you're talking to, you know, a lot of gray silhouettes oh, do that. or, or initials the whole time. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can, you can change your activities to, to increase engagement. Um, but you know, like certainly that is a little bit more awkward or challenging for the instructor. Um, and I think in fairness, there's reasons why it might be appropriate to allow candidates to have their cameras off, you know, for the very first time we are, we are in people's homes, right. Teaching courses. Yeah. And, you know, there, there might be any number of things going on in the background. Um, and, you know, or people might, I've, I've got a lot of people who are in their beds. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so it's the only quiet space, space sometimes. that they have. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, uh, in an ideal world, yes, everyone would be on camera, you know, really fully engaged. I do think we need to ex uh, kind of balance the line of we want our participants fully engaged, but we also need to be respectful of, you know, people are in their homes yeah. and for a variety of reasons. That's such an excellent yeah. point. And I just taught a class too, and actually two of the candidates didn't even have webcams. They only had the audience. Oh. So they couldn't even come on, but they still, they, they still participated um, quite a bit. It was, it was great. They, they, uh, they queued in and offered their points quite a bit, but I couldn't see them the entire time. Yeah, Cause it's, it's not a different. given you're going to have a webcam. Exactly. Like most of us have computers through our, through our work, but for our younger students, especially you're not going to be given a, a work device. Right. So yeah, having yeah. a webcam is definitely a privilege. So Adam, moving Great into the point. next question here. Sure. Um, so as an instructor, how could I find what content can be delivered online versus in person? Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say that the first thing that I would suggest, uh, whether you're an affiliate or whether you're an instructor or trainer that you take a look at, is it's currently still on the homepage. If you go to the homepage today, uh, January 20th, as we record, it's about halfway down the page. Um, there's a link to a document called, it's a very long name, Delivery of Online and Blended Learning, a Guide for Life Saving Society Affiliates and Leadership Personnel. Um, but it's a great document. I love that so it's got short a short title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very memorable. Um, so uh, the big, big, great things to look for on that. Number one, we have a list of which courses can be offered in a blended format. 
uh, and which courses can be offered in either a blended or exclusively online format. So for an, an affiliate trying to program a course, that would be your starting point to, to ask yourself, am I even able you know, to offer this course blended uh, or online? Uh, the document goes on to talk about a number of other things, uh, you know, for example, um, uh, recommendations around preparation time, uh, how you might handle identity checks since you're not in person to look at the ID and the person side by side. Um, there's uh, requirements listed around ratios and course hours. Um, and things of that nature. Uh, so yeah, lo lots of rich information. So my uh, big suggestion would be to yeah, go and take a look at that document. Um, if there's a course that's not listed, if you still have you know, questions or something's not making sense, certainly you know, consider calling or emailing the Life Saving Society office and, and staff there would be happy to, to help troubleshoot what situations or information you're looking for. But and that, I think that resource is very helpful. I think we can put this, um, a link to this document, Jason, probably in our, um, our notes on the show, if there's room, um, that might be helpful for anyone who's listening. Yeah. They can, they can go grab that link there as well. Yeah. That does seem like a very useful document for those that are just kind of starting off, especially. I know I just pulled it up to give it a quick, a quick scan and it does look very helpful. So moving on then, what can we not do? while delivering online learning. Let's talk about what we shouldn't do, Adam. Sure. Uh, so certainly this is not exhaustive, but you know, a couple of the big things that have come up over the last really about year or so where we've had um, instructors teaching in a blended format. So number one would be uh, class sizes. Theoretically, like I said, you know, Zoom might allow you to have 200 participants in your course we're not doing that. <laughs> That's yeah. too many Can you imagine 200 um, people in a national life card? I would hate to fill yeah. out that well, sheet. Yeah, that's right. Jeez. Um, all of our ratios around instructor to candidate would still be the same. Um, so that would be number one. Uh, number two, um, uh, we would still expect that candidates participate, participate fully in the course. And uh, like I said, there might be some expectations that a particular affiliate has around what that looks like, you know, as it pertains to what we're talking about with cameras on, mics on, that sort of thing. But, you know, as speaking as a life-saving society person, you know, we want our courses to be inclusive and welcoming to people. So, so I would suggest, you know, you, you need to have some degree of flexibility to recognize is that you know for some people they might have limitations around how they participate what um, do you do if someone's virtually? internet goes out and they drop off for a significant period of time like yeah I mean short periods no. of time sure but if they miss a huge chunk are we able to provide them an opportunity to catch up on that like say okay no problem like I know you missed an hour or say you had a power outage because these things happen right so yes. say there's a power yes. outage and someone's offline can they participate in some sort of like extra credit assignment to catch that piece up? Sure. You know what I would say, Stephanie, I, I would suggest to our instructors and trainers that they would handle that in the, in the same way they would uh, similar situations that would, would have come up historically, right? You know, the candidates late for the course because of traffic or a snowstorm, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, any, any number of things like that. And, you know, certainly some affiliates will have different practices around how much flexibility or latitude they offer for situations like that. So my, my advice to, um, uh, instructors and trainers would be to talk to their, you know, supervisor coordinator. Um, if there's any specific um, uh, 
processes they should be following. But I would say you could handle them the same way. I, uh, my advice uh, all along for many years when I've been training instructors has been, you know, I, I think uh, there's a little bit of judgment required, but I think typically, you know, there's a, you hit a certain point or threshold where, you know, if someone misses, let's say just for sake of argument, 20 minutes, that's that's fairly easy to make up at a break, at a lunch, if you're willing and able to, to stay online a little bit at the end of the day. Whereas, you know, certainly if someone misses three or four hours, that might be a little bit more logistically uh, difficult to make up. However, I'm aware, you know, some affiliates would still be be happy to work with their their customers or clients to, to make that work. Um, so I, I would say best advice to really drill it down to one big idea would be to, to talk to the, the supervisor or employer to make sure that you're following whatever the practice might be. That's, that's very helpful. Do the hours stay the same? I know we talked a little bit about timing and if it takes longer for scheduling, but is it still, if it's an eight hour course, it's an eight hour course. If it's a 20 hour course, it's a 20 hour course. Are those remaining the same? Yeah, and so in terms of instructional hours, uh, yes. They would be the exact same as what we've typically um, uh, had in the program guide. So a 20-hour course is still a 20-hour course. In that document we were talking about earlier, uh, there is a recommendation that you consider having a little bit of extra time to help people um, uh, become aware of how to use the tool um, because that's something you wouldn't typically have sort of planned for when we were coming up with course hours in some cases, you know, 10 years ago. Um, uh, so, uh, but yeah, in general, uh, the course hours would be the same. The other thing that we should know for listeners is that um, uh, the course hours are synchronous instructor-led hours, meaning if I'm teaching a uh, National Lifeguard course, I cannot assign candidates two hours of reading and have that come out of my 40 hours of course time. Um, instead, it would be just like in the past, I might assign them some asynchronous opportunities like I would have assigned homework five years ago. Um, but when we talk about, say, a 40-hour course, the, the intent is that the 40 hours is instructor-led whether in person or virtually. So Adam, I do have a question about icebreakers, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually really like doing icebreakers in person. I, I try to make them active or interactive. Yeah. Um, you know, they're in bed of their chairs, they're doing something. Um, and we obviously can't do that in a blended learning format. Um, but I, I don't want to lose that. I still want to get to know the candidates. I want the candidates to get to know each other. Do you have any recommendations in that respect that's not super time consuming? Sure. Um, I think you brought up two different sort of purposes, uh, Jason. One purpose is, is getting to know each other. And, uh, you know, in edges speak, yeah, we would call that an icebreaker. Um, you also talked about getting people moving around and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we might call that an energizer. And I think both of those have a time and a place in, in any course, whether it's in person or virtually. Um, uh, my advice would be in terms of the energizer side of things, I think one consideration when instructors are planning their online sessions is you probably don't want to have a three hour nonstop online session. Um, you know, I've, I've lived that personally. It's extremely long. Uh, and challenging, even if as the, the participant, you're really engaged with what's happening. 
Um, so I think in terms of providing those opportunities for movement, you know, like changing the brain chemistry as people are doing other things and moving around, um, you might just offer a, a 10 minute break or a five minute break. Um, I think in terms of get to know you, yes, yeah, certainly uh, some of our, you know, traditional tried and true icebreakers that some people might do, you know, like two truths and a lie, um, or, you know, come up with five things that you have in common and three things that are different. Some of those icebreakers that many people use could still be done virtually, you know, you could put people into breakout rooms with a partner, uh, or with a small group, and they could do that very similar activity. Um, uh, one consideration you could even have uh, for a icebreaker is, uh, and this would be a little bit more time consuming perhaps, but you know, what if the candidates created a shared slideshow on, you know, Google Slides or, or PowerPoint through collaborative features of PowerPoint. And, and you know, they each made uh, one slide with a photo of themselves and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a couple cool facts or something like that. So very similar to what people might have done for many years with chart paper, but kind of taking advantage of the online tool. And I think for the most part, um, candidates in the demographic who we serve have generally have some degree of technological ability, especially since many of our candidates, either as, you know, um, high school students or post-secondary students or even people in various workplaces, like I said earlier, would have had some experience with um, these tools over the last couple of years, especially. Yeah, I think it's just a really important thing to include, especially when we were talking about, you know, the comfort level and having people want to engage and, and want to participate. I think that's really important. Um, I think that's probably almost it for us. Jason, do you have any other questions for Adam? It's been, Adam, you've been, it's been fantastic having you on tonight. So um, helpful. The fact that I've we've been able to go through all this stuff and it's quite a bit of learning. And I know some people are a little hesitant to try the blended learning format, but like reach out to the people that have done it, um, get some ideas, share ideas. Um, don't hesitate. Like I, I've done a couple now, Adam, it sounds like you've done a lot, um, they are different, but they're just as fun as teaching in person. Um, you know, just you're in, in the comfort of your own home instead. Yeah, so we that's just, right. we do really I, want to thank you, Adam, for coming out. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. I'm sure we'll have you back at some point. And if you're listening and you have any questions for Adam, you know who to email, lifeguard. No, you don't, because I don't. Jason, <laughs> I do this every week, every time. <laughs> you can email us at lifeguard for life podcast at gmail.com. So that's the number four lifeguard for life podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> thanks, Adam. Have a great night. Thanks, yeah, Adam. thanks, guys. Take care. So, Jason, I don't know about you, but I had a great time chatting with Adam. What a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, he, uh, he was, he, it was a lot of information he gave us a lot. Um, but it's great to that's have someone with his knowledge on for sure. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe you can share with us what your like most interesting tidbit was, but I was very, uh, and I haven't done blended learning. I haven't taught anything yet. So for me, it was really interesting to hear that it wasn't going to affect my timing. Most mm -hmm. of my um, things that I'm already doing can be adapted and work online. Most of my classroom learning pieces can be modified to be delivered. Like the virtual whiteboard idea I thought was great. Um, I even feel like that would be more collaborative, even if you were in person, like I kind yes. of, 
I know people aren't going to bring their computers to your class or whatever, but how interesting is that to really just be able to live collaborate with your candidates? I thought that was great. Yep. And um, I really liked how he had talked about, uh, um, um, he had mentioned like resources already available for instructors. And I, I had kind of talked about it too, but because I'm the bronze chair, so I mentioned bronze, but there is already resources available. He mentioned the guide that's on the licensing society's website. You can go to licensingsociety.com and grab that. Um, if you're teaching a bronze level, it's already, uh, the stuff's already done for you. Just get that USB resource, um, review it and prep yourself. And actually I really like the, um, how we mentioned, like, it's good to have that extra hour. Yeah. Um, and, and just kind of teach your candidates how to do this online learning format. Right. It was, it was a nice, it was a nice touch. So Stephanie, next month, what's our topic? What are we focusing on? I was, I was going to say we're focusing on blended learning. Not again. Um, we're going to be looking at the staff shortage again, but we have a bit of a unique spin on it. Um, so looking at how COVID is affecting um, our lifeguards and our, our instructors and the people that we have on our pool decks um, and sort of digging into that. Yeah. And like uh, how it's, how it's affected, uh, you know, our world at this point in time. And I know a lot of places are struggling with lifeguard shortages. So we're going to take a kind of a deep dive into what's happened basically in the last two years. And then um, uh, moving forward into 2022, we'll do another one about potentially uh, how to come out of this um, a little better prepared you know, to deal with that lifeguard shortage. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, you know, having that conversation with you next next uh, month, Stephanie. Yeah. So in the meantime, listeners, if you have any comments or questions, uh, topics you'd like to hear Jason and I chat about, um, send us an email. It's lifeguard number four life podcast at gmail.com. Did life I just nail that address? You did. First time for yes. everything. <laughs> I can do it. First time. First we made time. it too complicated. Lifeguard for life podcast at gmail.com. And that's it's just so much better when you say it. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, everyone. And uh, check back with us next month. Have a great night, everyone. <laughs>